Well, hello, everybody. It is the Whiskey in History Gang. I am John Cole. With me, as always, Justin Raditz and my good friend, Pete Kehoe. And special guest today, Rachel Burns. How are you, Rachel? We've been talking about this for like two months. We're finally- I'm so excited, man. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. This this is the first time probably ever in my life that I get to ramble about every good and absolutely terrible, mostly absolutely terrible thing that Richard Nixon's ever done and people are excited to listen. I know, right? They're super excited to listen. So we do a thing here on Whiskey in History, which is how you have to pronounce it if you're ever curious. That's how it's spelled. Whiskey in History. History. In history. Right there above your head, right there. Whiskey. Oh, look at that. Whiskey in history. Okay. History. Uh, so, uh, what's in your glass? You're the guest. Go first. Tell us what you're drinking. Oh, so I'm going to do a, a fresh crack today. Um, oh, I like it. If, I, if, if this was a really a Nixon show, I'd probably be pacing my hallways drinking scotch and yes. rambling against the elites. But I'm going to uh, watching some pot still today. And watching Patton over and over and over again. <laughs> yeah. Justin, we've talked about this. We've talked about, you know, whether we like or hate Nixon. But Patton was my favorite movie for a little while. I like it. I like it. Justin, what's in your glass, buddy? What's in your glass, Justin? Thanks. Thanks. Of course, especially because it's about Nixon, I had to continue the, the, the red breast. Like so oh. the best whiskey in the entire world. I just wish I could drink enough of it and then go find a pack of hippies and tearfully console them and try to understand where they're coming from and make it so that they understand where I'm coming from as well. But not today. How about you, Pete? What do you got up there? You know, first of all, I have to say, Justin, uh, you must be in a different tax bracket than I am. <laughs> because the red breast... You had Redbreast going the last time we were on together, uh, two shows ago, I think it was. And uh, that's one of my favorites. Um, the uh, trick is small anyway, sips. Yeah, I know. I know. You have to sparingly. And, and, you know, do the whole, you know, the nose and the, you know. Um, I am drinking, actually, this is a very good and not a very well-known uh, pick for like under 30 bucks in the bourbon world. Uh, it's called Larceny. And hey. uh, it's about, I think state minimums, like 26 or something on this bottle. And it's really good. Uh, it's got some good oak uh, to it. Just a little bit of vanilla maybe. And uh, just, and 92 proof, just uh, very good. Very good bottle. Really? Excellent. Well, yeah. leader makes it sweet, right? Well, I have to admit, my friends, I was laid out for the last couple of days, uh, not feeling well in the stomach department. So um, I'm drinking what I'm going to call an uh, uh, an unfashionable. <laughs> uh, so, so I've got some peach tea um, with mm. with some um, uh, old fashioned like mixer with uh, vermouth. So it's a non-alcoholic peach old fashioned. Uh, just in honor of the sign behind me. It's an un- nice. Uh, yeah. okay. Nice. So for the bourbon, John, it, it cures everything. Right? So. I don't know, man. It's a COVID killer, you know? It's a COVID killer. I like it. I swear to God. Well, um, been, you know, we're, we're, we're five minutes in, Pete, and we already have our first um, dick pic reference. I knew it was coming. 
I didn't know it'd be number one. But, um, yeah, yeah, you know, John, there's probably going to be a few. You should front load the the campaign buttons, right? Let's just get it out of the way. Get it out of the way. All right. Yeah. yeah. Here you go. Here you go, Donovan. If you look up, if you're watching on your phone, it might be kind of small, but um, they can't lick our dick. There you go, buddy. Yeah. Those are legit. Legitimate legit. campaign buttons. Legitimate. They put it, they put those on pins on purpose. Yeah. That's... Maybe they were red fucked. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> it's, it's quite possible. So, Rachel, I know we're going to, you know, we're eager to get into our topic for today, but um, I would be remiss if we didn't address the um, the elephant in the room. And yes. um, please tell me how tell amazing me it was to meet Alex Trebek. Oh, my God. Uh, there, there are two people in the world um, that I've ever met where I've, I've spoken to them for, you know, six words, and it completely changed my life. One of them is the polarizing figure behind me. And the other one is Alex freaking Trebek, man. That's that's the greatest thing I've ever done. It's probably the last thing that my dad ever saw me do. It's, that's oh my amazing. God, oh my God. Well, just for you, I put together a little something if you bear with me. Are you ready? You I, I hope so. <laughs> is Jeopardy, a software analyst from East Lansing, yes. Michigan, Rachel Byrne. Alex Trebek. In a 1901 speech, speak softly and carry a big stick. You'll go far. Teddy. Rachel. Who is Roosevelt? Teddy Roosevelt. Yes. Who is Aristotle? He's the one. Rachel Burns is from East Lansing, Michigan, software analyst whose grandfather was a champion on a game show that was on the air many, many years ago, hosted by a friend of mine, Tom Kennedy. Yeah, my grandfather was a name that teen champion amongst many things. He won a Datsun that my dad ran into the ground and it became his first car. <laughs> Rachel. What is a muffler? Yeah. What are blinkers? Blinkers, that's it. Who is Wonder Woman? Correct. What is Old Faithful? Correct. What is Carrie? Good. Uh, who is Farrah Fawcett? Correct. What is Star Anis? Yes. What is Stradivarius? Yes. We'll go to Rachel in the middle. Let's see. Did you come up with the correct response to our final? What is the Lend and Lease? We're going to accept that. Lend Lease Act. You're right. And you're going to add 6,800, doubling your score to 13,600. Pretty awesome. awesome. That makes me feel great. <laughs> I edited out a few that you got wrong. It's fine. You. <laughs> now we'll see if I get in trouble That's from awesome. the network te te television people for airing that um, un unauthorized. So we'll find out. It was worth it. Yes. It was worth it, darn it. So uh, that was awesome. Uh, it was really cool. I yeah. watched it live um, with a bunch of our friends, of course. Uh, well, not live, I guess, when it was released. Yeah. Yes. But um, amazing. Amazing experience, I can only imagine. Best makeup I've ever had in my life. <laughs> I absolutely love it. So, um, Rachel, I Sony to come on today, <laughs> right? Um, so, you asked us uh, before we get going that you the way you wanted to start it was just kind of give us, you know, when we say, you know, if somebody says Richard Nixon, what's the first thing um, that comes to mind? And and I will be the first one to say, as these guys have done a few shows with me now, I'm not much of a history buff. Sorry, Dad. I know you watch. You were a retired history teacher. I know. And government at that. And this is also one of his favorite topics. Uh, he was on a couple shows ago with us talking about the history of Top Gun. That was pretty fascinating. 
Um, but um, the first thing that comes to my mind really um, was for me, it was kind of the turning point of presidents from being kind of the speaking point of their party and being an equal three part of the executive, you know, the, the, the three branches to becoming an individual force on its own. Um, and for good or bad, that had changed the way that presidents acted. Um, and then I learned recently that uh, he really is the reason why professional sports are as politically charged as they are today. So those are the two fascinating. Man doesn't things. know anything about Nixon, he says. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I know. That, that's about it. That's all I got. That's all I got. Pete, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you hear Richard Nixon? Uh, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, is paranoia. Um, uh, it, it, we were talking before the show started a little bit about him and just about, you know, how this guy was such a juxtaposition of so many things, you know, right and wrong, good and bad, uh, left and right, you know, uh, just... Uh, but he was so paranoid. Uh, it, I, I was just amazed because he would have won the 72 election in a landslide without the Watergate and without any kind of subterfuge or, you know, breaking and entering or whatever, you know? I mean, he, he, it was the largest electoral landslide in history, just about, I think. And, you know, he would have had that anyway. So he was just really paranoid. That's, that's my first thing that I think about. Justin, before before digging into Cold War history in college, I just thought Nixon was just the bad dude. Anything that happened during that time was because of him. Anything that that happened during during that time or any loss of faith that we had in the government was something that this crazy did crazy crazy guy did, and um, he was just bad. He was the worst of the worst. The, the Grinch of the presidential lineup, lineup <laughs> up until that, at, at that point, until recent history. Do you know what kind of guy you have to be to be the worst of that set of guys? <laughs> Pretty bad. Oh, boy. Pretty bad. Pretty bad. And, and Rachel, I didn't know if you wanted to add your first impressions of Nixon before you started digging in to him. Well, so I guess not my first impressions before I started digging in, but like, my snap impression when you say Nixon now, right? You know, a lot of times it's like Watergate or it's, you know, vice president or it's, you know, I'm not a crook or you don't have Nixon mm -hmm. to get around or the, or, or the old man trying to redeem himself. But for me, uh, there's this book called Nixon Land by a guy named Rick Perlstein. And after reading that, for me, it was always king of the orthogonians. And so the orthogonians, uh, Nixon went to Whittier College. He, he couldn't afford to go to Harvard. His family couldn't afford for him to go to Harvard. He got a full scholarship. They couldn't send him away because they needed him to work in their store, nice Quaker people, grocery store owners, whatever. But he goes off to Whittier College. He wants to be you know, the big fish in that small pond. He's the last man on the football team. Uh, he's so bad with girls that the woman he ends up marrying, Pat, he drove her to dates with other men. He was such a loser. And so when he he he, he drove he drove her and the dates to where they were going. <laughs> <laughs> and so you know, this little you know tiny school, you know, kind, you know, well respected in the area, but kind of a put on school. You think he doesn't even get into their senior society. 
he's too much of a loser. So what he does, and this kind of really defines, I think, a lot of his political career going forward. Number one, he hates elites from then on, even even as he is one, he hates them. And then number two, he creates his own. So he gets all the losers, all the, you know, dumb guys, all the, you know, whatever, other guys driving their girls to dates with other men, I don't know, and starts his own society. And I really think that that is, you see it over and over and over and over again in his career, where he hates the cool kids and tries to forge his own. But he wants to be one. So bad, so bad. All right. Before we get into that, Justin, because I know that you want to get on just a little housekeeping. Um, I just want to remind everybody that we are on iLogicMedia.com. Please go check us out. We have all kinds of fun shows all throughout the week, pretty much every day of the week, something cool going on there. And then I did forget one thing that I have to uh, fix real quick. The wonderful graphic at the beginning of our show, uh, (laughs) hand drawn by a good friend of, of mine who grew up with Justin and who Pete knows their family as well. Um, our friend Lee May, um, he made this, so his Twitter and Instagram right there, at May and his um, design webpage, LeeMay.design. He does caricatures, all kinds of other drawings. He did this up for me. Um, if you're looking for that, something for you, reach out to him, and he'll take care of that. So I didn't want to forget to give a shout-out to Lee. Fantastic. Let me make that go away now. There you go. So to jump oh, on jump on where you were going, I'm going to go back just a minute. And I know I was the guy who was like, we don't really need to talk about little tricky dick. <laughs> But the 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 boo the boohoo. Uh, I did a little bit of research before this podcast. I certainly didn't know it myself. But little tricky Dick had an older brother who was the heir apparent, similar to that of like Joe Kennedy, the the elder of the Kennedy brothers. I can't wait to get into those parallels, man. <laughs> he uh, so both both Dick's older brother and younger brother passed away of tuberculosis, and at first. Tricky Dick always wanted to be as great and as awesome as his brother, who got all the attention, but never got there. And when his older brother died, he had the role of the older brother, but everybody was already like, Dick, you don't have what people call the social skills. Uh, So no. So, But he tried to fulfill that older brother role to his younger brother, who then died. So in, in terms of like child trauma, you... Your idol is gone. You try to take up the idol's role. It doesn't work out. You fulfill his responsibilities like he did with you, and your subject dies. So you're left. Yeah. You're left with holding the legacy of both. So even when this kid got ahead, he was still expected. Like, what's going to happen next? Some terrible thing's going to happen to me. Uh, so like, I got accepted into Harvard. Great. Wait, my parents say that I have to be here because the wrong kid died or whatever Quaker environment that he was grown up in with that nightmare, you know, situation. So like the boy didn't have much of a chance going out into the world. Anyway, he could achieve, but he could never feel comfortable with his own achievements based off of that childhood trauma. Some some believe. Did the family, uh, the lemon farm or lemon ranch or whatever that they had uh, failed when he was like nine or 10 and they had to move also. Correct. Wasn't that mm-hmm. like the oh, yeah, yeah. era kind of, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're right. So, I mean, they got the general failure. store. Oh. Yeah, right. So, yeah. When, so when life gives you lemons, try to destroy the American way. Almost. 
just a little. Oh my god! Oh my god! Uh, Rich, just uh, one quick reminder as well. If you have seen the previous shows, I know there's a bunch of people watching right now. Um, check back in with us around, you know, probably nine forty-five. This show is going to go a little longer. We're going to have a virtual cheers on the end. Whoever can uh, get in here and join us and raise a glass of whiskey to us, and I've got a. I've got a bit of a surprise for everybody at the end of the show. So make sure you're checking in. If you're going to tune out for a minute, make sure you get back here by like 9.45 p.m. You're going you're gonna to enjoy it. All right, carry on, my friends. Thanks, John. So, okay, where do we leave off, Rachel and, and Pete? I think, I think we left, I think, we left off at Whittier. Yes. And so then, then we went in the Navy like the, like the YMCA. Or no. Yeah. Like the, he, he was a lieutenant was commander people. in the Navy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's Reserve. again, again, parallel after parallel to somebody like a JFK. You know, he's he's off in the Navy, he's doing really well. Although JFK served in combat, and I think Nixon served World War II from California. Reserve. Yeah, reserves. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But he, but he was he was deployed. Um, he was deployed on his ship. Yeah. And he decided to fund his first campaign, playing poker. That's right. And so he, you know, so he, instead of, you know, you know, chasing women, finding the first thing off the boat, he's chasing four queens, I guess. I don't know. But yeah, he's chasing <laughs> poker games. Yeah. Sending all his money home to Pat. That is how he funds his first congressional campaign. Justin, I think you wanted wow. to get into that first congressional campaign quite a bit, didn't you? A little bit. So. Nixon, in his first campaign, felt that, like most things, people were going to try to push him down. Like, And the only way that he could spook people out of thinking about voting for an incumbent that they've been voting for throughout World War II. So he starts making sensational assumptions about uh, the other party. Sensational stuff that would force them to respond. And when they would respond, he would question whether or not their response was real or if it was dodging another sensational uh, accusation. Does that sound like uh, anybody? I know. But he, he, he kind of first invented and popularized, at least in California politics, the, the idea of openly slinging mud into the press. Certainly not the first time it's done, but it's for, certainly the first time that it's done without any care about the response or even yeah. an answer yeah. to the question. I think it was, was the first time kind of the modern era, right? Because you have like those early battles where it's like, you know, I'm going to write in my newspaper whatever I want, knowing that you are going to write in your newspaper completely artisan whatever you want and we're just going to trade crazy things back and forth and that's pretty plain right that's, you can see it but he's you know leaking things in back channels and you know that's throwing true. rocks and hiding hands and even in those early days which back then like when somebody said my word of honor you believed him i caught a fish 10 feet 10 feet long my word of honor people are like oh of course that's definitely on the level. And in an area where, or at a time where that kind of stuff's going on, Tricky Dick's like, pretty sure that her poodle's a communist. Let's see her try to deny it. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I'm the president. Prove me wrong. Yeah. yeah well, this was before he was anything. Mm -hmm. He was a big, uh, you know, pre 
Creed McCarthy, you know, anti-communist guy, you know, like yeah. uh, several years before McCarthy, actually, you know, very prescient, you know. Absolutely. And it, it continued on with this. And he had he had a successful career uh, in local politics. And eventually he made it to the Senate where he became friends, allegedly became friends with uh, JFK when he was a junior congressman. I think they were. Did they go into the Congress in the same year? Or the they did Senate? go in the same year. 1948, right? I yeah. think so. I think you're right, yeah. And uh, from there he gets okay, but uh, he does well. He does join the Red Scare, right? He joins mm -hmm. McCarthy uh, during his business. But I can't remember, was that before he was in Eisenhower's administration or yeah, was, during? Was in, yeah, so Eisenhower... That administration is 1952 or 53 to 1961. And mm -hmm. so when Nixon is in Congress, he needs somebody, he needs a them, he always needs a them. And there's a, a perfect, you know, gift wrap them, right? With McCarthy in those Senate trials. And that's when he gets famous for going completely in on Alger Hiss. Um, <clears throat> and Alger, uh, please continue. Oh, sorry about that. But you know, one of those elite guys, elite. I think he did. He was he a federal civil servant? That it was. I think so. Yeah, I think so. And, yeah. You know, good, tall, slick, well-educated guy accused of being a communist, has some questionable ties. I mean, I, I, I'll be honest, I can't, I can't even go back and tell you was Alger Hiss a communist or not, because the, mm -hmm. the most important thing is that you get Nixon in these, you know, kind of these early days of public congressional hearings, and he's, he's all on the guy. And he's, you know, getting secret intelligence on the guy and all of this kind of stuff, things that mm -hmm. you know, are gonna sound familiar later. And everyone thinks that Nixon is a hero of our country. Look at this guy rooting out, you know, this this communism that we've got running rampant all in our, you know, liberal elite places and our media and you know, I don't know, take out fake news and put in fake movies. Exactly. Yeah. Just for our viewers who don't right. remember the Red Scare. There was a, a period in the 50s uh, where a fellow from, it's Wisconsin, right? That's where McCarthy's from, Joe McCarthy's mm -hmm. from Wisconsin. Yes. Which is so weird. They're so nice over there. <laughs> this, guy, <laughs> this guy gets to Washington, D.C., essentially taking what Dick Nixon did and then dialing it up to 11 and just pointing out that there's communists everywhere. Your neighbor, your yeah. your dog, your, your teacher at school, yeah. all of these actors... <laughs> Maybe somebody you know, spoiled this cheese, Justin. It's very possible, but the he, he, McCarthy grabbed on this on this thing that was full of bullshit, and this huge movement happened both in the government, in the Republican Party, and it affected everybody across the country. They just went nuts, and they saw communism or communists everywhere oh. and conspiracies everywhere. Now, granted, Nixon wasn't the architect of this thing this was mostly mccarthy's but you're right uh rachel like 
McCarthy set people up on a silver platter for Nixon to get his turn being tough on the communists. And uh, I mean, none of it was good. And even Eisenhower hated this guy specifically because of his McCarthy shenanigans. But Eisenhower was a Republican guy. And he's like, well, we have the Republicans. Then we also have these super crazies over here that see uh, conspiracy theories everywhere. So I'll be happy with the old Republicans and the new Republicans will be happy with this crazy Dick Nixon guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was and, and, crazy. Right, Pete, you tried to add there, I believe. Uh, I was just going to say that, you know, that era, I mean, you have to, as far as ramping up of the whole Red Scare thing and, you know, this, this whole thing that Nixon really did plant the seed for the whole McCarthyism waves, um, it was also a combination and a confluence of a lot of things, you know, I mean, you know, the Cold War was like at its, you know, fever pitch, you know, I mean, that, you know, people were digging fucking bomb shelters in their backyards, okay? I mean, that's, you have to remember that that was the, the heightened level of paranoia, uh, like nationwide at that point. So, you know, so it's not, it's not hard to see this campaign. These guys go, hey, this is a good way to like, uh, you know, control some people's, you know, thinking and like, you know, get them onto my, that, you know. Sounds oddly familiar to recently, just saying. Uh, it does, it, doesn't it though? Yeah. Yeah. Donovan uh, Schellenberger here says he believes Nixon and Elvis beat the commies. Oh, we'll get there soon. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. We're getting and, uh, close. I don't want to forget about my man Jim Brown, but I know it's in the itinerary, Elvis. so we'll get back to Vietnam too. So don't worry about that. Oh boy. Yeah. John and Rachel, please stop me if I if I keep if I keep driving the car and, and not be a polite side seat driver. Uh, oh man, I'm 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 here for the Cullen commentary, man. You you. Yeah. You're the man over here. All right, keep it rolling. Just half an hour in, just a reminder. Okay, so Eisenhower, I'm glad that you brought up the Cold War and that it was at its peak. On one hand, it was at its peak, but we learned, and even Dick Nixon knew this, that the peak was bullshit. We kept saying we need, there's a bomber gap, there's a missile gap, there's a tank gap, and it was McNamara, well, they knew what it was, they knew what, what the reality was in terms of the intelligence we were getting. It was McNamara that made it first public, or at least semi-public, that there is no bomber gap, there is no missile gap. All of this is hysteria, which is bizarre because we have this internal domestic hysteria, the Red Scare, and while that's going on, unprecedented amounts of government spending from these government contracts go to fight this Cold War threat, this commie threat, abroad it left us completely blind and completely vulnerable to the point where uh at the end of eisenhower's administration he gave a farewell speech to the to the nation addressing this justin if you don't mind i'd like to spend just a second on nixon's vice presidential years because it's not something that we talk about a lot right i think you know we have this odd marriage and we've seen this over and over and over again um, you know, in our country's history, we've seen it with somebody like, you know, George W. Bush and Dick Cheney. We've seen it with a, you know, even, you know, a JFK and an LBJ. Uh, this, these odd relationships where, you know, Eisenhower wasn't a politician. He's barely a Republican. 
you know, both sides were trying to draft him. We saw that later on when they had uh, – who were they trying to draft? A, a general in the last 15, 20 years or so. Um, not Colin Powell, which they tried to draft him too. But uh, they constantly try to get an apolitical military figure because we can kind of cast all of our concerns onto this person, right? And Eisenhower was one of those guys. And so you pair him up with this, you know, rabid, uh, you know, fierce, well-connected Republican, Richard Nixon. And there's a book out, um, The President and the Apprentice. And I, I don't agree with everything the guy has to say, but he talks about how these guys were learning from one another. Nick, uh, Eisenhower didn't know anything about domestic policy, you know, other than creating roads, which is something that he brought back from Germany. But you know, he knew how to handle the military and maybe a little bit of foreign policy. But he sends Nixon out, shockingly, to be kind of a, a real interested party in kind of civil rights stuff. <laughs> you know, you'd send him out to handle a lot of foreign policy things. This guy actually got an education in the presidency. However, that almost didn't happen. So with, you know, early on in the campaign, Eisenhower sees this guy might not be on the up and up. There might be something funny going on with his, with his you know, campaign funds. Who knows what the hell is going on? And that's when we get the checker speech, right? Uh, you know, my, my wife wears a nice Republican cloth coat. You think she's out here in the coast, but you know, you know, we're just we're just we're just getting by. But did did Eisenhower help him though during that scandal? In the end. Yes, after in it the, was like much. After, after the checkers speech. Yeah. <laughs> He's ready for him to go. But the Only speech is so compelling to the because Americans because we believe the guy on TV. Go ahead, Pete. No, I'm just going to say, I think the re reason that he did at the very end was because of the checker speech, because there was a mm -hmm. groundswell of public, you know, love for, for Nixon after that whole thing, you know. I don't think Absolutely. Eisenhower would have, uh, you know, that's just my opinion. Yeah. I don't know. It was a political move is what you're trying to say. Yeah. Totally. And it's so well, interesting that. Well, you just had to go along with public sentiment. Yeah. You know? Right. It's too far in the, along in the campaign to really kind of get rid of them. And he was still ready to get rid of them. But that little bit of redemption kind of keeps him hanging on. And he, yeah. first in many examples, we think of him, you know, you think of the JFK debates and you think, oh, the scruffy guy, he doesn't know how to handle the media. He doesn't know how to, you know, handle television. This man was a media master. He's the, he's the master of spin. Mm -hmm. Master of spinning in the in the print. It took him a little bit to, to figure out how to do it in, in TV, which was True. a lot harder for him. But you're definitely like you're dead on. He, uh, I, uh, Nixon during the Eisenhower administration definitely was kind of like a kind of like, like a Dick Cheney, but without any of the real power. You know? Yeah. He did he did the work, but he was still kind of. Yeah. I think it's I yeah. think it's probably what we're gonna see right now. Right? Yeah. I think we've seen uh, you know, President Biden deploy Kamala Harris probably because of his, you know, age, he's tired, whatever, but he's able to send her into a lot of different places where you wouldn't necessarily expect the vice president to be. Right? Mm -hmm. Of course. You know, I'm jumping ahead temporarily here, but uh I have to think about Hubert Humphrey and what 
right. like needle nosed little like nasally nerd that 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 he was. And I mean, in comparison to Nixon, right? I mean, we're kind mm-hmm. of. He was kind of uh, Nixon in Nixon's earlier years, almost. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I and just uh, you know, as far as like TV. Was, uh, uh, oh, go ahead. No, you're 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 right. At this, that was Nixon. Also, kind of showed up on the scene during the weird polar shift in in the Democratic Party when when Johnson pissed off all of the Southern Democrats for continuing the civil rights movement. Oh, oh you're jumping ahead. ahead. Yeah. And, well, he, well, he capitalizes that. Yeah, I think we that's jumped way ahead. I'm sorry. To understand, <laughs> you know, being on television and capturing the public mind, and, you know, the whole, you know, silent majority and all of that. We are, we are skipping ahead a little. I guess we've gotten, you know, we've talked, we've talked about kind of that relationship with JFK. I know that there's a connection that you brought up. Era too. Oh, but wait, I do want to go. Let's go back. Go ahead. Pete, finish your thought. No, I was just going to say, I did. I, 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 Rachel, we just met tonight and met, you know, uh, I am a composer and I produce music for audiovisual stuff. I did the theme for this show. Um, and I did a two-hour documentary on Eisenhower during the Cold War uh, that was on uh, public television uh, about five years ago. And I learned a lot about Nixon and about uh, and Eisenhower especially. Your comment about Eisenhower barely being a Republican, which is totally true. They basically signed him up at the at 11th hour, you know, kind of thing. But but Nixon... He looked for himself uh, as an independent or something, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, right, right. And uh, uh, I'm going down a rabbit hole here. But anyway, I just wanted to uh, just throw that out there that, you know, I kind of I learned a lot about the Eisenhower years uh, during that because during that project, because I had never really spent any time like history wise. Eisenhower was kind of neglected, I think, you know, it's kind of like. When I grew up, it was like up to Truman and then, you know, atomic bomb and then, you know, oh, Eisenhower. And then all of a sudden JFK, you know, yeah. the kind of- only thing I've ever cared about Eisenhower, really, you know, well, when I was, you know, growing up, you know, he was the president when my mother was born. It's probably mm-hmm. all I could have told you about him until I got to college, you know, and, and then, of course, you learn about the NSA and, you know, you learn about Eisenhower, the general and all of these other things. But the most remarkable thing I think of his presidency, and Justin, you've got a clip queued up, don't you? Is yes, is his yes. lesson that he had for us that we yes. still haven't listened to? The military-industrial complex. Yes. Justin, would you like me to play that clip? Yes, please, John. Uh, which clip was that? You gave me three. Not uh, the F- not FDR, obviously. The clip one for uh, Eisenhower. Yes, the one that doesn't say Nixon got his. I believe it's this one crises there will continue to be. In meeting them, whether foreign or domestic, great or small, there is a recurring temptation to feel that some spectacular and costly action could become the miraculous solution to all current difficulties. But each proposal must be weighed in the light of a broader consideration. 
the need to maintain balance in and among national programs. Balance between the private and the public economy. Balance between the clearly necessary and the comfortably desirable. Balance between actions of the moment and the national welfare of the future. Good judgment seeks balance and progress. Lack of it eventually finds imbalance and frustration. Our military organization today bears little relation to that known of any of my predecessors in peacetime, or indeed by the fighting men of World War II or Korea. Until the latest of our world conflicts, the United States had no armaments industry. We have been compelled to create a permanent armaments industry of vast proportions. We annually spend on military security alone more than the net income of all United States corporations. Akin to and largely responsible for the sweeping changes in our industrial military posture has been the technological revolution during recent decades. A steadily increasing share is conducted for, by, or at the direction of the federal government. In the same fashion, the free university, historically the fountainhead of free ideas and scientific discovery, has experienced a revolution in the conduct of research, partly because of the huge costs involved, a government contract becomes virtually a substitute for intellectual curiosity. The prospect of domination of the nation's scholars by federal employment, project allocations, and the power of money is ever-present and is gravely to be regarded. Now, this conjunction of an immense military establishment and a large arms industry is new in the American experience. The total influence, economic, political, even spiritual, is felt in every city, every state house, every office of the federal government. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic processes. John, I think we can pause it there. It's a little longer than I thought, but essentially what he's saying is, dudes, there's this thing and it's everywhere and it's, and it's, getting into our government and it's changing how we do things absolutely i can only imagine imagine just the pressure that it took to to make the legislative and to pass the idea of building this giant industrial complex of, of military and becoming this huge expenditures in military and how much people were like whoa man that's a lot of spending we shouldn't be spending that money and now you fast forward to today and it's like if you try to talk about not spending that money. Whoa, whoa, we have to spend that money. We got to have that money. Well, just... I mean, you know, you think in, in, in World War II, we had to take our largest corporations, right? We had to take General Motors and Ford and all of these companies and stop what they're doing to make our tanks, to make our equipment, you know, pretty similar to what we've just had to do with COVID-19. But after World War II, we have companies that specialize in these things, right? Uh, who's, what's, what is it, Betsy DeVos's brother, I can't even think of the name of the company, it's been through so many different 
you know, namings. Um, was it was it Blackwater at one time? But what's what's the security yeah. company? I can't even name it. Black it Forest. Never, it was Blackwater, and now it's uh, security. Security officers? No, that's the security guard. Secure. Yeah, real, real, well, real, real uh, tricky stuff. The the scary part is, you know, it's very easy to take the military-industrial complex, which has seeded itself in our economy and our government, but the thought of something that big that is infiltrating the government and taking over our scientific communities and destroying what he described as free colleges. What? We had free colleges? Well, fr free of thought. Free of thought. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for that clarification. <laughs> oh, oh, no. But, you know, talk to somebody 60 years or older in a part-time job for their tuition. Exactly. But, like, it, it's creeping in everywhere. And in a sense, the industry is wagging the tail of the government. And if there's people standing in the way of that funding or of that, of that industry, they'll use the government to take them over and to put them in line for them, you know? That's that's kind of how we end up with- was Halliburton, Halliburton. Was, was Blackwater, you. then it was XP Services, now it's Academy. Mm. Academy with an I to make it cute. Mm. Oh, it's cute, yeah, it's cute. Like, I like it, I like it. John, can we play the other so, clip, which is significantly shorter? It was- For sure. It was, it was a part of his, his speech that was directed specifically at Nixon. But it almost sounds like it, he's talking about Trump, or dare I say, us Americans in general. Yeah. What were you saying, Pete? No, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. There. As we peer into society's future, we, you and I, and our government, must avoid the impulse to live only for today, plundering for our own ease and convenience the precious resources of tomorrow. We cannot mortgage the material assets of our grandchildren without risking the loss also of their political and spiritual heritage. We want democracy to survive for all generations to come, not to become the insolvent phantom of tomorrow. During the long lane of the history yet to be written, America knows that this world of ours ever growing smaller, must avoid becoming a community of dreadful fear and hate, and be instead a proud confederation of mutual trust and respect. Man, Boom. man, that gives me chills a little bit, not gonna lie. Yeah. I might try to live that out tomorrow. <laughs> so thank you for the clips. Pete, I, I, I've been stepping on you all night. I'm so sorry. No. No, not at all. I'm just, I mean, I'm, I, I don't know why we're ignoring Pete. He, 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 he's old enough to have lived through all of this, basically. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> very good point and, and, and very true. Uh, <laughs> I do remember, actually, well, fa we're fast forwarding. We were, we're in the Eisenhower years. Suddenly, we're back in the early 1970s, okay? Um, I remember seeing the Watergate hearings on television and my mother saying, you know, you should pay attention because you're going to want to remember this. This is, you know, and I still have uh, the copy of the day that Nixon uh, resigned, August 9th, 1974, 
uh, I have the Detroit Free Press and oh, I forget a couple of other papers, Chicago Tribune. Uh, I still have those uh, newspaper issues because those that, that was, you know, the, the, the most yeah, that was history. Yeah. Time. Oh, and and I mean, we think the last four years were turbulent. You guys have no fucking idea. I'm telling you. Now, I'm, well, I'm just, you know, an old guy, all right, talking. I, was, everything was on edge and everything was, uh, I mean, on the brink of collapse at that point. Politically, it had never been tested before. Our democracy, our, our you know, our constitution had never been tested before like that, ever. There had been one impeachment proceeding for that, Andrew Johnson. Big fucking deal. That was nothing. You know, this was like earth shattering, you know, ground, you know, uh, just, you know. And and I don't remember. A, a, I remember so many. The, first of all, G. Gordon Liddy just passed away two years, uh, two weeks ago, I think. Rest in something. And he was he was one of the only guys that never folded on Nixon. Everybody else talked. Bob Haldeman, uh, you know, Ehrlichman, uh, John Dean, they all caved in like cheap card houses. But yeah. G. Gordon Liddy never never gave it up for Nixon, and he did time in the federal penitentiary and, you know, and became a really successful talk show host afterwards, which is uh, good for him, you know? Yeah, isn't that man. the American way, isn't it? You know, yeah, but I mean that was a that was a cataclysmic thing in American society, you guys. I mean, whatever pandemic is is probably the closest thing that I can remember in my lifetime to being anywhere near as cataclysmic. You know, um, yeah, oh, yeah, it was it sh sh shook the foundations of everything. You know, now, I assume that you'll you'll educate me on this, but one of the feelings I always had about Nixon was. Um, you know, after Watergate and after everything, like the whole political move on by the next people that took over who are like, yeah, 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 we got to move on. Forget about that. We're not really going to dwell on this. We're not going to punish him. We're not going to, to uh, put him in jail. We're not going to, you know, prosecute. Um, we just have to move on. And part of me feels like that was a huge mistake and is probably part of the reason why every president since has grasped a little bit more power, a little bit more power, a little bit more power, because they know so far, so far, that nobody's been held really responsible for anything they've really gotten away with. And I feel like we're kind of in that position again, where we have a, a new president who's being either pressured for or against continuing this, you know, pressure on the, on the previous president. Uh, maybe I'm wrong by that, but that's kind of always how I felt about Nixon is that, that letting him get away with what we let him get away with set the tone for allowing each president after to get a little bit more power, a little bit more power, a little bit more power. Honestly, John, I think I that him resigning is the most that he might that might have happened to him. I, there was a lawyer in his administration. I can't remember who it was that I was listening to on on C-SPAN or, or one of those things that you know I watched for fun. And the guy with the flat top. Saying, yeah, uh, if oh no no not a uh, bow tie, no that's yeah, yeah. that's, that's, that's the Watergate Ball. special prosecutor uh, Archibald mm. Cox, but um, okay. Archie Cox. But, yeah, but one of them was saying 
if he would have just held on, nothing may have happened. He may have survived in peace. That's true. It was I think the Republicans of that day and politicians of that day were more committed to country over party because it was Republicans who did eventually pressure him to resign, but he might have gotten away with it. It's possible. He easily. As a matter of fact, it was his paranoia that kept him from getting away with it, to be honest with you. Back to the paranoia at the beginning of the broadcast. You know, my first initial, uh, initial thought of, of Dick Nicknett is always paranoia. Uh, and that's what ruined him. Uh, it wasn't the fact that, I mean, it, it was the fact that he was plagued with self-doubt all of his life. And, you know, it goes back to when, the, when he was a kid for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, you can do the Freudian thing for a while. Um, he just, he ruined his own political career. And when it was at its zenith, you know, uh, and I always felt sorry for him uh, in that respect. You know, he fucked things up, man, and he didn't have to. You know, he was he was the most successful, you know, election uh, ever in 1972. You know, and Watergate had nothing to do with helping him out with that. They did at that. It was the biggest bungling of something that was totally unnecessary and totally did nothing but ruin him, you know? One thing we haven't done is, is really talk about what Watergate is or was, uh, you know. Um, Before we do, I'm just going to catch us up if that's okay, Rachel. Yeah. Thank you. So we got the vice, he's done being the vice president. Mm -hmm. um, we know what happens when he goes against JFK, sweaty well, lip not going to work sweaty lips he yeah he tries to run for for governorship of california and he loses and he gives this kiss off speech about how uh, uh yeah the, the the reporters don't report the full truth and they're going to miss not having dick nixon around because he's done to kick we'll around have, we'll have dick yeah. nixon to kick around anyway yeah. that's right yeah yes so let's let's move forward. A lot of stuff happened with Johnson. The biggest thing, and 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 Rachel, you correct me if I'm wrong, just because uh, this is my understanding. And we I touched on it earlier. The big switch in the Democratic Party after Johnson's administration. Yeah. So the there, Southern, there, yeah, there are a few things that are plaguing, you know, LBJ. Right. So you know, from the, the very beginning of, of his administration, he's embroiled. You know, with Vietnam, and it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse and worse, and and he knows that that's not going very well at all. Um, his, you know, you know, big thing domestically, of course, is the Great Society. Uh, I, I think it's really cool to juxtapose Richard Nixon and LBJ, right? Because you have two guys, you know, because I think we might have some time to get to the cuddly side of Nixon. There's a lot of good things that Richard Nixon, you know, did. There are a lot of surprisingly liberal things that, that, you know, Richard Nixon did. Yeah. And you know, LBJ as well. I think I always thought of LBJ and his civil rights, you know, campaign as being kind of, you know, this guy is of this era and from this place and he's doing, you know, the right thing because he knows that he's kind of a, a, a you know, a dinosaur. Um, not quite true. Actually, I found out later in life that he actually taught uh, in schools at the border really had, you know, interactions with, uh, you know, Latino communities and things like that. A lot of his civil rights platform was quite genuine. Um, 
So, you know, you've got this old crazy Southerner who is all about civil rights. And you've got the guy who, you know, comes after him and he's doing some of the right things, but every single thing is cynical, right? It's all, I'm playing these different people against each other. You know, the I, you know, EPA, I don't care much about that. But back to what you were saying, uh, Justin, um, the switch is that when you have the civil rights legislation of the 1960s, a solidly democratic South, and, and, and LBJ knows that it's this kiss off, it's, you know, you guys are now uh, with the Republicans. I've, I've, you know, hopefully I've made the right political calculus in getting enough, you know, you know, invested black voters into the Democratic yeah. Party. But, you know, the rest of you guys are for the streets. And there is a street sweeper named Richard Nixon who's coming to town. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. not only does he, you know, capitalize on the silent majority, um, you know, you're tired of the turmoil in your streets, you're tired of the, the looting and the protesting and the whatever. Uh, you know, yeah. come join our fold. Not only that, but he's out in back channels screwing around with our international diplomacy, screwing any chance that LBJ has to get us out of Vietnam. Yes, yeah. thank you. Oh my gosh, yes. So what was it? Johnson was making a, an incredible effort to try to end the war because he said, I'm not going to get my other election anyway. I'm going to clean this up. Mm -hmm. And they couldn't get through. Nixon and was it was it actually at the re recommendation of uh, I'm forgetting is Henry Kissinger? Was it Henry Kissinger's recommendation Henry to say Kissinger's had the recommendation of Henry Kissinger? Yeah, <laughs> like at least the, the way Henry Kissinger tells it today. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But they they essentially told the the Vietnamese peace delegation, North Vietnamese peace delegation, if you guys want to end the war. You better deal with Tricky Dick. Don't deal with these guys. We're going to get you a better deal. Just hold out. And uh, once, of course, they, they they chose with Dick Nixon. And Dick Nixon's solution to Vietnam, at least for his first term, was it's dialed up to 11. Let's see what happens when we dial up to 111. And off we went. Let's just turn up the volume on military spending on this war against a country the size of what delaware it's yeah. it's nuts and i know that we're skipping over a whole bunch of stuff but like <laughs> it's all right. right we're about an hour in and um you know i don't want to go much longer than uh, should another, this be a two-parter no man let's just keep rolling and, and like i was telling three. pete i could yeah, I can always uh, in post edit put this back on the web page in three in bite sized chunks. So it's fine. Let's just keep rolling. We we we're we still are averaging about twenty live viewers the whole time. So let's keep it rolling. Yay us and the twenty people who view us. Thank you. Uh -huh. Hey, thank you. Yeah, we appreciate you. Nah, keep it rolling. But I do want to, um, you know, maybe about fifteen minutes more, and then we'll get into what I have planned. Man. We really haven't even sunk our teeth in. This is like, uh, All right. this well, is like we can't get too much into Watergate, right? Watergate pro probably does need its own. Uh, All right, yeah, just, just keep it rolling, Justin, and catch us up to uh, you know where where we want to get into Watergate, and um, okay. we'll we'll do that. Okay, so time. it's fine. People are enjoying. We got to talk about. Oh gosh, there's just so much stuff that he did that was weird about Vietnam. Jim Brown says Vietnam wasn't wasn't a war; right. it was a police action. 100% correct. Yes. Well, wait, it, it was until Johnson made it a war for those torpedoes that 
they shot but never did. Right? Well, well Congress never declared it a war. Congress must but, declare war. Yes, they gave him that's war correct. powers. Right. Yes. Right. And that's and that's actually become, you know, a not uncommon thing. No, Art, to have you are powers Art, without Art, declaring war. Art is awesome. And, and so, again, all of these different precedents that take our country as it is supposed to work and send it somewhere else. Uh, there's so, okay, so let's say this. Dick Nixon's in, in, in the presidency. And the mindset of Dick Nixon is that we think he's a pretty old guy. He's kind of like... On the surface, he feels like a safe choice, right? We just had a turbulent time with Johnson. We had an insane time with with JFK. Well, it's the been Democratic a crazy. Party's in complete shambles. Oh right? yeah, the Chicago '68, which is there's oh, riots everywhere. We don't understand these kids. Mm -hmm. Crazy. Yeah, it's you know the the MC5. Yeah. All that stuff. Sorry, Bobby Kennedy. Come on, oh. or. Uh, yeah. uh, Dr. King, I mean, 68 mm -hmm. a horrible, horrible time, horrible time. And, and so now we got, now we got this tricky dick guy who we know kind of represents, we know that he's good and he's, he's like an old faithful guy, but he kind of really represents the worst of the old world. Yeah, it's kind of like Bob Dolan one. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's like, there's definitely a transition of how politics work moving forward after Nixon that weren't anywhere close to how things worked before him. So he's like a big watershed moment, except he himself, the presidency is the country goes through this transition, is the worst of the old and also the worst of the new. He was just bad coming and going in terms of what he was trying to do. Let's let's be fair. We did get the EPA out of them, Clean Air Act, Safe yes. Drinking Water. There was uh, OSHA. I mean, we had some good stuff going on. Well, that was the we price he had to pay to do all the stuff he really wanted to do. Uh, you know, Nixon did not care much for domestic policy. He wanted to be the guy on the national stage. We also got Nixon opening up China. He liked to be in the spotlight on the national stage. Excuse me, international stage. Bringing he wanted to achieve. He wanted to be the Franklin. Right, mm -hmm. going back to his old college, you know, societies. But he's a lifelong Orthogonian. Yes. There are some people that argue or there are some there are some views of thought that believe that um, JFK was the last president president, i.e. he can he can kind of do what he wants and people are gonna leave him alone. Kinda like uh, Eisenhower got to say our our country doesn't work anymore because of this big military thing. But uh, like JFK tried to do things like straight up end war, straight up avoid greater conflict. And two weeks after he decided that he was going to pull out of Vietnam entirely, he did. And then we have Johnson, who's like, well, I'm going to do X, Y and Z. But people feel that he was also pressured to continue the war and to continue feeding the military industrial complex. And when it got to Nixon, people felt that Nixon might have made some sort of secret deal with these new Southern Democrats that are now new Southern Republicans and that they were gonna reconstruct him. And they and the thought of behind this, and I know that I'm going crazy here, but again, this is just the thought that's out there. 
um, the, there's there's a feeling that believes that Dick Nixon did everything that he wanted for the party that got him his dream after his career was washed up. And the second uh, the second uh, term was all going to be Dick Nixon's turn. He can do whatever the heck he wants. So a lot of the stuff that he did in terms of like, OK, well, we're going to get away out of the war. OK, well, I'm going to open up China. OK, well, uh, I guess uh, we're going to take another look at, uh, at at civil rights. These are things these are big things that he did. Oh, OK, I guess we're just not going to you know, we're going to dial back the Cold War and make the top with Russia. These are things that he did at the beginning of or gearing gearing up for his second term where he felt like the heck with all this stuff. And this is it. I'll end the conspiracy part. Uh, people feel that the reason why he got caught with Watergate, which to be perfectly honest, isn't, it's not great. Definitely is an example of how he approaches all things, not straight on. But at the same time, people thought that maybe it was the Watergate and the loss of support within the, the inner inner workings of the Republican Party that that were a consequence to him for doing these big, big things like opening up China, ending the war in Vietnam, and creating detente with the Soviets. People were like, really? No, Nixon, F you, you're out. Done with the conspiracy wow. part. From all- That's what <laughs> I've never heard before. That's what- so crazy. It, any of it could be true. Any of it could be true, you know. It, again, a guy who who would have already won at a landslide in 1972. Yeah, you doing know, these I, you know these these silly tricks, okay. right? The the rat fucking. That's something that comes from uh, University of Southern California. So these are tricks that people would have played in college student body elections, right? So yeah. you know uh, you know we're gonna take down your flyers, or we're gonna you know put up. You know, fake ones or something like that. Yeah. In a presidential election, you get stuff that's so silly. You know, the Democratic Party has a fundraiser plan. So, yeah. Oh, well, somebody phoned us up and told us that you canceled it. Somebody, you know, ordered a thousand pizzas. All of this, all of this really dumb stuff. And Watergate, the break-ins. It wasn't it. Uh, the commissioner. He, he was later the commissioner of the NBA. Was it Larry O'Brien's office? Oh, Who's yeah. the head of the DNC? And um, he, you know, it's it's a it's what a guys from from Cuba, like Cubans from Miami or something like that, who are breaking in to get some documents, something that's that's probably happened, you know, hundreds of times. Honestly, I hate to be like a both sides are in any situation, but probably everybody probably did it. And these guys are so stupid. Rachel, it's like when the Houston Astros got caught cheating in baseball. But they're not the only ones stealing signs and cheating yeah. in baseball. They just no. got caught. Yeah, I would screw them. Yeah, but, uh, but, but they're so dumb. One of the guys tapes the door, and a security guard, like a like a you know a, a regular security guard. And I don't know how much the night security guard is super serious. I know if I were a night security guard in 2021, I'd probably be sitting on my iPad sleeping who knows what this guy goes to check a door and it's loose it's tape on it you know he's calling it in and it's like holy crap uh, and nobody cares right you report this in the washington post you recorded you reported in the new york times and there's that podcast i think slate does it slow burn the first season is on watergate and the title slow burn comes because in 1970 
it was was it one or two? Nineteen seventy-two. Nobody cared. <laughs> and nobody cares. Three lives in the Wapo. Okay. Mm. And then by nineteen seventy-four, we know. Holy crap! What did he know? When did he know it? Where are those? You know, however many minutes it takes. Yeah, and I yeah. mean, it's weird because Johnson, the president prior had pretty much publicly said that all of his Texas elections were purchased. And he's like, he's out in the open with it. Meanwhile, uh, Nixon is getting, uh, well, he's getting impeached over it. And granted, it it might be like one of those situations in which those who are trying to get rid of Dick Nixon kind of found, uh, like, what is it? Who's that guy from? Who's the Scarface guy from Chicago? He he wasn't arrested for being Capone? a gangster. He was arrested yeah, for Capone, tax fraud yeah, yeah, yeah. Tax or mail fraud or whatever. Capone. Yeah. Al Capone. Yeah. Thank you, Al Capone. So you know, but I, we're, we're still Rachel. We're still like, we're not even talking about the worst of the worst. And we're not talking about Vietnam either. Like we kind of touched on it. There's just so much stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. I oh feel, yeah. I feel like we're just scratching the surface and not really getting uh, into the juices. Barely, stuff. not even. Well, you know what, guys? We can always, um, you know, come back this summer and we can get deeper into things. We can always schedule a part two. Ooh, I, would like I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but we're here now. So what else do we have to get into, yes. Justin? I, I told the people that we would, I put out a link around 10 o'clock with a virtual cheers link. So, you know, let's keep okay, it going strong. Twenty more minutes. Let's keep it strong. Gosh, I'll say this. Let's do let's do final statements about Nixon. We had our first impressions. Let's do our final impressions. Does it sound good, John? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, I mean, for me, I, it, it's so fascinating when we talk about these things. Um, and it's not necessarily Nixon specific. But when we talk about this era of politics and we talk about how popular the idea of social networks were and how popular the topics of let's make sure we have an educated let's make sure we have a healthy let's make sure we have safety nets set up for the american people because we have this amazing economy that's just driving and driving and driving and let's put it to work for the people and how that just slowly just faded out of existence and how it wasn't a democrat liberal thing it was both sides it was conservatives that wanted to take care of people as they got older it was conservatives that wanted you know to make sure people were healthy it was everybody and and then it just kind of went away kind of shortly after this era that the whole like concept is just fascinating to me what a national you know everybody was in on it let's let's move this war machine let's take this money let's get everybody taken care of and then it just kind of went away i guess it's a topic for another day to talk about why all of that changed but that's like this era of politics just always gets me so frustrated because we were on the precipice of of being like one of the first nations to have universal health care and universal education and then it all just went away hey what you think buddy well you know as far as nixon's uh to uh justin's you know kind of like epilogue our first impression and our last impression of nixon i'm going back to that Uh, i think I, I think he realized not only the impact that they had 
on the American uh, political system, you know, and, and de- on our democracy. But also, uh, I think he, you know, the David Frost interviews, did you guys see any of those? Okay. You know, They're I didn't. Probably on. Uh, they were the first interviews with Nixon after, I mean, he was in, you know, he was a recluse at San Clemente, you know, after resigning for a lot of years. And uh, David Frost interviewed him. I couldn't tell you what year I could Google it, but uh, it was, uh, he realized the impact that he had on American society and on the world, you know, at large also. You know, um, and I think he had some regrets. And, and I remember seeing that remorse in his face and in the tone of his voice in some of those interviews. Um, and you know what? If you haven't seen those, they're well worth seeing. Um, yeah. You probably get more information from those interviews as far as the real Richard Nixon than you will in any you know, academic text or, you know, anything about Watergate or any, any history book. Um, he really, I think he really was remorseful as far as what he had done and how he had thwarted his destiny, you know, and there's still a Nixon library and there's still a lot of Richard Nixon fans, you know, and he did a lot of great things in this country under his tenure you know and and I, you know i feel sorry for him i guess i think that's my my final impression on nixon is that i feel i feel sorry for him because he did a lot of things that he didn't have to do that fucked things up for him and in the long run if he hadn't done those things i think he would have had a glorious legacy uh comparatively you know and let us not forget also that we teased that we would talk about the lessons of that administration that could be, um, you know, applied to the current situation. So let's uh, also end that. But let's finish your final impression, and then we'll talk about how it relates to what is currently or has just occurred over the last year and a half. Go ahead, Justin. Okay. Oh, Rachel, did did you go last the last time? Uh, I, I think so. But, if, but okay, if, you, okay. if you've got some, some final thoughts to wrap us up. Sure thing. Well, I, I don't want to. Of course, I want to kick it over to you. I just didn't want to jump in line or jump ahead. Oh no, 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 Bob. Cool, cool, cool. I, I can go. Yeah. Um, uh, please. So, so I think I think it's really going to be interesting. Um, you know, when I first became aware of Richard Nixon was really during a lot of that kind of farewell farewell tour time, right? You know, you know Nixon on the lecture circuit. Uh, Nixon on the interview circuit, really, you know, as Pete was saying, showing some remorse, you know, for a lot of what he did, uh, what he and a lot of, you know, lower level members of administration, I think we, I think we kind of touched on just how many people, you know, you know, ratted out a lot of what happened in the administration, but a lot of those lower level people who really saw uh, that, that Nixon administration, and, and I've worked in an executive's administration, it's a lot of young people. It's a lot of people scrapping and making their career. And a lot of those yep. young people now are 80 year old men who are still very loyal to the president and still, whether it be for their own career mm-hmm. preservation or whether it be for, um, you know, kind of edifying the good that, that Richard Nixon did, 
that you hear a lot of apologetics and much of it rightly so. Um, you know, we did touch a little bit on a lot of the good that came out, environmental protections, Title IX, things like that. Um, and so we have that. And I think it's really interesting, you know, because not to tip my hand too much, but I listened to a podcast, it was that uh, Freakonomics or something like that. And they were looking at our healthcare system today and the inefficiencies in it, the problems with it, a lot of those things, um, looking at issues that even universal healthcare, the way that we have it now, haven't been able to fix and things like that. And they interviewed Alex Azar, who was uh, Secretary of Health and Human Services under President Trump. And <coughs> when I heard him, and I can't, I can't recall every detail that he had, but as I was listening to him talk about some of the things that he was pursuing, and I can't say whether or not they were things that you know were directed from the White House or things that were really kind of his own mind, but some of the things that he was pursuing, it made sense. It made perfect practical sense. And it makes sense that if you are a hardcore conservative who's given something like universal health care, what, what are you going to do with that? You're going to find efficiencies. You're going to try to do some of those things. And that was, like I said, that was the first time that I heard something from the previous administ administration. I'm like, oh, that's, that's actually good. And it was completely thwarted. It didn't go anywhere, none of what you know what he was trying to do. A lot of what he was able to do has been suspended under our current administration only because everything has been suspended under our current you know, it's, it's really kind of like, hey, pause it all. You know, let's let's see what we can keep and see what we need to throw out. But that was interesting to me. That a, a broken clock is right twice a day. Nixon <laughs> might have been right. You might have been right, you know, five times a day, um, look, kind of looking back on things. But, you know, he really, really, really tried to set himself up as kind of the academic, you know, foreign policy genius who was above the fray, as did Henry Kissinger. And you're looking at these guys like, dude, you are the fray. Like, what in the hell? <laughs> but but, but it, it will be interesting to see where we go in our wild moment that we've recently had. Um, uh, we lost him. <laughs> we lost him. I was about to hand it up to Justin. Justin's Justin. going. That's OK. Pete, oh, what else you got, buddy, while we get for Justin? There he is. There he is. There you are. Your, okay. Rachel's ahead. powerful words blocked out my phone. <laughs> <laughs> Pete, you were responding. Personality. You were responding to what Rachel said. To, uh, very quickly, uh, just about uh, Nixon believed in uh, a lot stronger public health system, and yes, you know, like, uh, and he was a big proponent for big corporations to like pony up. And like, you know, all your employees should have full health. I mean, complete coverage. And I mean, so many things that are, when you really, okay, again, when I grew up, Nixon was evil, okay? He was, you know, demonized and he was, 
you know, a he was an old square. Uh, he was a number of things, yeah. And in retrospect, you look at a lot of the things. I mean, okay, EPA, OSHA, the Clean Air Act. You know, so many environmental things that are just like uh, anathema to most Republicans these days. You know, I mean, like com- mm-hmm. completely, like you know, boom. You know, uh, and I just I, I I'm amazed at and the fact and this is the big thing that i remember again okay being the old man here amongst you youngsters at the juggling of brezhnev and mao at the same oh that was oh how do we not even touch on that it's too complex nobody no okay that's a whole episode in and of itself yes right uh i don't know how we're gonna work whiskey into that one but yes and Oh, lots of, oh boy. Uh, unbelievable what the guy did. Uh, absolutely unprecedented in the history of the world. Seriously, in the history of the world, not just the United States. Juggling that, it, it, it's such a precarious time between all three countries. Not just, we're not even talking economics. Mostly we talk in terms of economics these days, right? Not at all. This is we're like life and death shit. I think because of Richard Nixon, and in a lot of ways, we're able to focus on economics right now with some of the things that he did Uh, in the foreign policy. You know what? I I would absolutely agree with you. Absolutely, Uh, he made it possible to get beyond the political and uh, you know military aspects of you know our differences and and our you know we were in a stasis for so long as far as you know uh, just a rigid uh there were 30 or 40 years or maybe more uh in the 20th century where not just trade okay we always talk about the almighty benjamin right but socially politically and 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 militarily we were in in a stasis that it, that we were locked into a grid lock kind of thing that we couldn't get out of for a long time. And Nixon was really, you know, he was the impetus probably, you know, Yes. he was moving those chess pieces between China and Brezhnev, who was more aloof than, than our own beloved uh, Reagan in terms of mental Mm -hmm. acuteness. Oh yeah. He's more of a but uh, the uh, um, he uh, well, I think you're right. And it, what's genius is that he was really he was moving those two players around just to get more of what he wanted, which is well, and, that that's that's a whole episode on its own. It is absolutely. But John, it, if, if I can, he yes. Although John, if I can, I'm gonna. Can I throw in my final thought? Yes, and please. We get, and we then can when you're done, I have a, I, ha- I have a little, um, I have a little game to play. Okay. Uh, a, new, a new feature <laughs> on whiskey in history. So when you're done, um, I would like to tell the listeners that um, I did put the link to Streamyard into uh, the chat wherever you are. Um, you uh, will not be on until I bring you on, so don't worry about that. But please make sure you close the tab wherever you are listening to us from, so that the. Um, the echoes don't come back because once you are in the studio, you will be able to hear us. You'll be able to see the show, hear the show. You will not need your tab open. Please close whatever device you were uh, watching us on so that we don't get an echo when I bring you on. And Justin, close us out, my friend. 
I think Nixon is possibly one of the most approachable historical presidents for our current generation. The man himself might have earned the very position which he eventually got, but he earned it by not playing fair. And in the end, the very beast of his own actions overcame his presidency and had terrible, terrible echoes in human polit or in American political environment ever since. We had Nixon as a sense, Nixon or McCarthy as a generation one. You have to understand that the young people or some of the young people that were on uh, Nixon's staff, which he released because they were getting too independent, were Donald Rumsfeld and Dick Cheney. And when Nixon was yeah. gone and Ford was in, who ran that administration? Dick Cheney and Donald Rumsfeld. And who's been a huge players in the way that Republicans approach things uh, domestically and foreign? Uh, those guys. And now we have our third generation started from this man who could have accomplished great things in spite of himself. We have our third generation Trump and or the QAnon folk that were based off of his methodologies and born out of his own strategies. So he's neurotic. He's very much he's very much an everyman and he's also very much an insider all at the same time. But what he ultimately is is a person who wasn't able to stand up to him to the job morally as a person and as a human being because of perceived weaknesses of himself. I hope that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it does. It does. Well, um, before we get into the end here, I'd like to do a few things. Thank you, Rachel, very much for yes. suggesting the topic and for joining us on it. It's fantastic. You can look at the scroller underneath us and it will show you the topics for the next two shows and the dates. Save the date. Hopefully, uh, Pete can join us for the next one. I know it's a Thursday, so you said you didn't know if you could or not. But um, May 13th, the Mayor Pingree episode. So we are going to yes. drink Valentine oh. whiskeys, 13-year-aged um, blended um, uh, whiskey from Valentine down in Detroit. And we're going to have a, a, a new friend of the show, uh, Mickey Lyons, a Detroit historian and drink aficionado, going to join us. And she actually wrote a book on basically the villains of all the founding fathers of Detroit. And uh, Pingree makes a brief um, appearance in there, but she's going to expand upon her knowledge of Pingree while we drink Mayor Pingree whiskey. I think that's going to be fun. And then Monday, May 24th, if Pete is uh, still hopped up on drugs, it'll be even more fun um, to go over the Mormon <laughs> King of Beaver Island. So Pete's having another uh, surgery recovery, so it'll be a lot of fun to have him on. Just for the record, Pete, I had, uh, I had uh, two vertebrae fused and a spinal fusion, and that day, Three hours after I got woke up from surgery, I called into my sports podcast and still took part in it. Three hours after surgery, I don't remember anything I said. But. John, we know that your de dedication to work is legendary. You don't need to rub it in our face all the time. Oh, no. Where did Pete go? We need him for the next phase. He's ashamed now. He can never show his face again after a no. story like that. No, I need him. <laughs> Pete. <laughs> we need Pete. We can't play the game without Pete, so we need oh, you. I'm there we sorry. go. Uh, are you ready? Oh, I'm sorry, John. Right. I'm with this game. For some reason, I'm back. I know. 
right. All right. Let so, me make a few adjustments. Uh, your your surgeries you were talking about. Uh, uh, nothing. I was just saying that I did a I did a podcast on fantasy sports three hours after back surgery, and I don't remember. He's he's trying to one up your surgery story, Pete. We're all we're now on. officially in old man zone. If we're trying right. to see who hurt yeah. harder and who could do more on their uh, think, pain meds. Uh, I think Rachel could have seen this next part coming. But um, <laughs> let's play Jeopardy, oh. my friends. Hey. Let's play Jeopardy, my friends. Yay. This is Jeopardy. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. What we're going to do is we're going to raise our hands. I'm going to call. Okay? Okay. Are you ready? Are you ready yes. to play? Are you ready yeah. to relive relive the dream? All right. All right. She's got the clicker. <laughs> All right. All right. Here we go. Uh, question. I'm not going to actually ask you to answer uh, uh, categories. I'm just going to skip the questions. All right. Here we go. Nixon had two secretaries of state, William P. Rogers, and this man who kept the post after Ford took over. Justin. Donnie Rumsfeld. Incorrect, sir. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, okay. Anybody else? Three. I'm ashamed. Oh, I have known it, but I don't know it today. The answer is Henry. Uh, Doug. Kiss me there. Right. Sorry, who yeah. is? You think I'm on the NSA, yeah? Duh. Okay. Okay. Extra bonus point if you know his middle name. Is it? Asshole. Anschluger. Alfred. Oh, wait. Uh, uh, where did my filter okay. go? I thought I clicked on it. I'm so sorry. So Katie, my wonderful wife, helped me with this. Watch this. Oh, hey. Hey. Good job, Katie. That's why I said, Pete, you can't leave. I need you. Yeah. Right. This is I great. I wasn't trying to leave. All right. Next question, my friends. He wasn't a friendly ghost, but Nixon's head of health, education, and welfare was also Reagan's secretary of defense, Rachel. Casper. Who is Casper Weinberger? Casper. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Is he the guy who said that he was in control of the government when Nick, when uh, when Reagan was shot? No, that was uh, that was uh, 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 oh. that was a man who needed a refresher before addressing the press. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right, I'm going to butcher this guy's name, but he was the chief, uh, he was the chief of staff actually. Right, uh, right. All right, next question. Robert Aplanalp, a buddy who lent Nixon the money for the Western White House, made a fortune with this invention. I was just looking at this, actually. And shout out to Barry Cole, who researched and sent me these questions. A, a former <laughs> of the Petoskey um, Quiz Bowl. Where would you be without your dad? Huh? Uh, I failed to use the aerosol spray can. Good for him. All right. The next category, huh? This member of Nixon's administration was the first man of Greek descent to serve as Rachel. Rachel. Spiro Agnew. Who is Spiro Agnew? Spiro T. Agnew was a when governor? I, when I found out that he resigned for reasons not related to Watergate. Aha. Yeah. Uh, bonus Taxes, point. right? Really? If you know what state uh, he was governor of. Maryland. Ooh. Maryland, indeed. Well played, Rachel. Wow. Very good, Rachel. That's uh, one out of three, I bet. All right. This man was Secretary of Treasury and also of Labor for Nixon. He was later Secretary of State for Reagan. Uh, 
Is that Reagan? R E G A N? I don't know. Uh, I think Cyrus. No, no, he was Chief Oh, he's Chief of Yeah. Mm. Cyrus Vance. Oh man, no, no, no! My dad has bested you again, George Schultz. George, Schultz. Uh, I would have failed oh. your dad's class. I know, right? All right. The next one will be in the form of a date. You tell me the uh, significance of it. Mm. August eighth, nineteen seventy-four. Was that the Saturday Night Massacre? It was no. Nixon resigned. The day Nixon resigned. Well played, Pete. You get one. You're on the board. You're on the board. Yay. January 27th, 1973. Hmm. I'm going to say Archibald Cox was uh, assigned to the uh, special investigator. Did he... Did he vote to lower the voting age to 18? No, he did not. Rachel? Is it is it the massacre? The, Saturday Night massacre? the date Nixon authorized oh. the end of the U.S. involvement in the oh, Vietnam War. Oh, authorized it. Okay. All right. All right, and here's the obscurest one. Oh, really? December 2nd, 1970. Is that a word, John? That's not a word, John. Yeah, sure. Sure it is. The obscurest. Did he set OSHA? It, you know Did he establish OSHA, the Clean Air Act? Oh, so close, my friend. No. The day he signed the executive order oh. establishing the EPA. I wrote my first that was, paper on that in high school. <laughs> hey, guys, thanks for playing that game with me. It, it entertained <laughs> me. It entertained yeah, me. <laughs> my dad wrote tough ones. I told oh. him these guys know what they're talking about. You can't give me any softballs. It's got to be uh, you know, uh, straight down the pipe. On the finer details. All right. Well, it's not too late. If you've seen the comments, there's a few spots open yet to uh, give us a virtual cheers. We have a couple of people uh, in there, so I'm going to bring them in one at a time here. We'll bring in my friend, Mr. Lee, <laughs> the man responsible for our caricatures. Cheers, guys. Yeah. Hey. yeah. Cheers, so man. Lee grew up with us in Petoskey, went to school ah. with both uh, Justin and I way back in the day. And of course, his back family the is the, the May family, uh, the famous chocolatiers of ah. Mackinac Island, of which Pete is very familiar with. Oh, yeah. yeah. What's up, man? man ah, good to see you, man. <laughs> well, I think you captured us beautifully, and I thank you very much for the, uh, oh, the man. I a great graphic, man. I, that was a quick catch. That was fun. Um, yeah. And I know Rachel feels out of it, so I can draw one for her, too, if she wants to be in it. So. <laughs> I, was, I was actually probably going to try to commission you for something. So. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Right? Look for my email. <laughs> All right. I got it. Got it. I love it. Well, but, we uh, appreciate you, Lee. Thanks for yeah. watching the show. Yep. I'm drinking my uh, – I got a Scott, uh, whiskey, actually, from a gift. It's called the Yamazaki. So I'm drinking that for you guys. Oh, very hey, nice. Hey, all uh, right. Japanese yeah. scotch. Somebody yeah. likes you. I like that. I like that. All right. All right. Um, yeah, my wife is, is – this is a game around the house, Pete, that you inadvertently played in. Um, Katie says, it is so a word. And that's because if I said it, you understood what I said, then it counts as a word. That's that's my feelings on it. So um, that's the way it goes. Uh, And then we'll bring in guests from our first show, I do believe, um, that uh, uh, Bart and Melissa joined us on the first show. And welcome back. Cheers to you all. Yes, Cheers. welcome back. And then my wife Cheers. was sitting here. You saw a few minutes ago, she got called away by a child. So oh, uh, 
I, I will stay with the cheers and some old old elk single barrel. Cheers uh, to you hey. all. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Cheers, everyone. Uh, thank you so much again for um, watching History in Whiskey, episode four. Uh, make sure to tune in on the 13th for the Mormon King of Beaver Island um, on the 24th. And I'm sorry, on the 24th and the Mayor Pingree on the 14th. And uh, I appreciate everybody. And, um, you know, we'll catch you next time around. Make sure you check out iLogicMedia.com for all of our great shows. We have sports. We have cooking. We have a horror literature. You name it, we've Ooh. got it. Go check out iLogicMedia.com. And we'll see you all on the next episode of History and Whiskey. Awesome. Rachel, thanks again. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you, Rachel. Talk about thanks, Rachel. Whiskey and history. Whiskey thanks, Rachel. And history. Cheers. Uh, cheers, my friends.